podcast, I share the audio from a presentation I gave to the Portland Business Alliance, which is our local chamber of commerce in Portland. They have a sustainability roundtable that they put on each quarter, and I was asked to talk about my application of Lean to sustainability efforts. I've also got a video attached to the um, podcast um, on the LeanSixSigmaEnvironment.org website. So if you go to the podcasts or the latest posts, you'll see the video embedded in there. And that will have the slides that I went through. I've also been adding transcripts to these podcasts to improve search and make it easier for people to find it. And also for you to reference it, or if you can't listen to the podcast, you can skim through and look for the content in there. Um, feel free to reach out if you have other topics that you'd like to learn about or want me to cover. Otherwise, I'll just be posting presentations and other things that I run across that are related to the topic. Thanks for listening, and uh, talk to you soon. Bye. So I worked about 18 years in aerospace manufacturing. That's where I got all of my background in process improvement. We were a supplier to Boeing. And so Boeing got a lot of training and education from a lot of the experts from Toyota and Japanese consultants back probably 20, 30 years ago. And so that kind of all trickled down to suppliers of, of Boeing and other businesses. And so for the last couple of decades, these, these methodologies around Lean and Six Sigma being popularity, and especially in larger corporations. Uh, how many of you have some familiarity with the concepts or have taken classes or whatever I know? Yeah, a few of you, so okay. okay. So I'll go through just a little bit of background on those and then show how I've seen that there's a, lot, a strong connection between these techniques and sustainability efforts. And then just some of the, a couple examples, some of the work I've done in the past, and then hopefully open up for questions. Also have a little exercise we can go through and try to identify waste and inefficiencies in a process. So uh, hopefully it'll be somewhat fun, not just me talking the whole time. Um, I'm also the president of Recycling Advocates, which is a, a nonprofit here in town. It's a, they've been around about 30 years. They've been involved in a lot of efforts around the bottle bill and recycling infrastructure, master recycler programs, things like that. So kind of getting, stepping, putting my foot into the nonprofit world a little bit as well. Not only just supporting them with some of these efforts, but also trying to figure out how to run a nonprofit. So that's been a very interesting challenge the last two years. Um, about my organization, so like I said, I was in aerospace for a long time and I had a, an idea of wanting to go and do consulting on my own, especially as I started noticing that sustainability efforts can be improved with some of these techniques. Maybe a little bit of tweaking here and there, but. Um, it's kind of a ripe opportunity. And so um, I look at sustainability from the triple bottom line approach of people, planet, and profit. And so um, there's a group in town called Lean Portland that I also work with. It's a volunteer group and we work with nonprofits to implement some of these techniques. Um, and then also just trying to look for examples of people <coughs> doing these improvement techniques around the environment and trying to collect those up and organize them and, and share that information with people. So try to build like a a resource of websites that have all this information kind of in one spot. So, um, but the bigger goal of what I'm kind of looking at is, have you heard of the UN Sustainable Development Goals that came out quite a few years ago, but they've kind of 
rebranded them a little bit in the last couple of years. So there's 17 goals that they have around sustainable development around the world and um, just trying to link a lot of activities going on to those efforts. So the city of Portland does a lot of work, uh, is doing a lot of work now with wasted food. You've heard of that. Um, that fits into some of these issues with you know, access to food and quality of food and, and things like that and the environmental impact of food. Um, and then locally we have climate action plan for Multnomah County. So trying to link up, okay, what am I working on? Does it, how does it pertain to a global scale UN goals and how does it pertain locally here to the climate action plan? Just making sure there's, people can see the connection there and make sure I'm not working on something that doesn't fit in there somewhere because it's hard to get some support for those efforts if it doesn't link to something. So that's, that's kind of my bigger goal. And so a lot of it's just kind of education outreach on what these concepts are for people who aren't familiar with it. So this term lean, um, the, the people who developed it don't think it's the greatest word they could have used. Um, the first connotation people think of is, oh, you're gonna trim out the waste in the process and that means we're gonna get rid of people or you're gonna give me less resources and I gotta do my job harder and I got less time to do it and more responsibilities. And that's the assumption people have going into it. So that's not the way it's supposed to be done. Um, it's supposed to be to, to get rid of the non-value added or wasteful steps in the process that aren't something the customer wants to pay for or finding value in. And then so you can spend your time doing the stuff they actually do want from your organization. And then just making sure that all the processes and departments from your organization are aligned to what the customer needs are. And so um, it's not about making my process or my department run better. It's about making the whole value stream or the whole system run efficiently. And that might mean that my process is inefficient, but that's okay because the customer is getting what they want in a timely manner. And that's really a different mindset around thinking about efficiency. Um, so it, it developed out of um, Toyota, called the Toyota Production System, and that was translated and put into a package called Lean. And um, the U.S. went over to Japan in the early 1980s to study why the automobile manufacturers were surpassing the U.S. manufacturers. So it kind of caught them off guard. And then they went to, went to study this, they realized, oh, this, a lot of the companies had taken uh, teachings of Henry Ford back in the early 1900s, and took it and ran with it and, and enhanced it and built on that. And so some of the things we did in World War II to, to ramp up our World War II efforts, <clears throat> we kind of forgot about or got complacent with. And they continued as their redevelopment after World War II and they just kind of took it and ran and, and developed it. So they kind of used some of the stuff in the US and then um, took it to another level. So the goal is to maximize the customer's value by minimizing the waste in the process. And the waste would be stuff that is not adding value to a customer. If they saw you doing that, they would say, why are you doing that? That's not the service or the product that I was really asking for. So if you're filling out paperwork or having them fill out paperwork that isn't actually going anywhere, nothing's being done with that information, it doesn't help make you a better decision, it doesn't give them any more information, should we be doing it in the first place? So that's a lot of the questioning. So you can actually free up people to then add more value, provide more products or services to your customer, not lay people off and save money temporarily short term. And the goal is to shorten that time. So when your customer asks for something, how quickly can you get it back to them with what they want and only what they want, not a bunch of extra stuff you think they might want that they actually don't care about. So that's really kind of the high level goal. And so it started off as a manufacturing thing, but now 
it has applicability to every type of business and nonprofit and office process as well. So I'll have that link for there, but this is a, a group that, of Toyota consultants that all their, their job is to go around and work with nonprofits and other organizations on this approach. And so the video is basically a summary of what they did with the New York Food Bank after Hurricane Sandy and, and some of the struggles that the food bank was having delivering um, meals to families. And it would take too long. It was really stressful and strenuous on the volunteers and they were basically running out of food before all the families were served and they'd have to turn people away and they went in and kind of looked at it and said hey these concepts apply the same way as a, a manufacturing process and showed them a different way of doing it that was less complex more simplified streamlined and they were able to turn around faster and reach more people so it's a really good video to check out <clears throat> so we'll do a do the review on that necessarily um, there's two main principles to keep in mind and a lot of there's a lot of tactical tools that are um, deployed but really when companies start looking at lean as an approach one thing they look at is um, what are the the principles that I have to keep in mind because everything's going to be unique and you're never going to have a textbook example in your business of how this fits in so it's got to always have a little bit of an adjustment or modification to it so the idea is let's keep these principles in mind as we're making these types of decisions the first one is that we are looking for continuous improvement. So it's not a, a one-time thing where we go in and we fix that problem and or that process, make it a little bit better, and then we say, all right, we're done with that, and let's hope it doesn't creep back up again. But we actually are continually looking for ways to make the process better every day and involving lots of people in that process. So even though my job in the past has been like a, a process improvement person, it's not my responsibility to go and do all the improvements. That's going to take a long time and that's not going to be very effective. It's how do I get everybody in the organization to be involved in process improvement. So everybody every day is kind of a mantra that you want to think about. And then the other one is called Gemba, which is basically means we go to where the work's being done and we look and observe and talk to the people doing the work. Not sitting in a meeting room like this and talking about how we're going to fix a process. We go to the process and we, we talk to the people and interact and say, here's a problem that we're having. What do you think? What's going on? Let's look at what's happening here. Um, so it's about visually going to that area. And then also making sure that we're aligned on priorities because there's usually an unending number of problems we could be working on. So what are the two or three that we're going to focus our attention on? And then let's knock those out so we can then work on another problem. If we have 20 problems we're working on, everyone's juggling too many things. And that's another concept is we can get into a point where we have too much going on and that's what we've done with some of the nonprofits is that you have too many projects. You need to cut down the projects. You have to cut down the number so you can actually make get more done by being focused on the few projects now. Get those completed and then we can move forward on more projects. But people want to solve all those problems this year. And, and then just throwing more into the mix. It's like a bottleneck of driving in the traffic. If you throw too many cars on the freeway, everything comes to a screeching halt. And the same thing with projects. You've got too many projects, nothing gets done because you're juggling way too many things and you're not actually solving the specific ones. The other thing is around respect for people or humanity, which is uh, sometimes gets lost in our, our business cultures and thinking. It's, it's about what can I do for the, the employees who are doing the work and make their jobs easier? Not to make them work faster or harder, but take away this, the frustration and the problems that they're having so they can actually focus on the stuff that they're good at. 
Um, and that involves coaching. It's not telling somebody what to do, but teaching them to solve their own problems and see what you're seeing. And that takes a little bit longer time to do that. But if you commit to that as a, as a goal, I'm gonna coach people to be able to make the decisions I want them to make, it's a better long-term solution. And they like working in an environment like that versus I don't know what to do, someone come tell me what to do next versus teaching them how to decide what to do next. And then the other thing is around teamwork is nobody's, no one department should be dictating how the whole process works. It needs to be done collaboratively. So like I mentioned, you can do a lot of things that make your department efficient and it creates all kinds of havoc for other departments. And ultimately the customer is the one that ends up suffering with that. And so it's about what's best for the customer or the whole system. And sometimes that doesn't feel very efficient for individual processes or people, but that's okay. And trying to get people over that mindset is um, different. We usually see that a lot when, when we talk about batch processing. So it's sometimes very efficient for someone to, to knock out a bunch of documents all at once. But when that first document showed up five hours ago, till the time that you actually processed all of them, the customer was waiting for five hours while you were waiting to batch up your work. And so when you look at it from that perspective, it makes more sense to go in and process them as they come in, even though that seems less efficient for you. But the customer is winning in that respect because they're getting quick turnaround on their work. So those concepts are sometimes a little counterintuitive. Some of the other concepts are very intuitive because it's like, yeah, why are we doing that? That's a waste of time, it's frustrating, let's stop doing that. So a couple of the things to think about our principles is investing in the people to increase engagement. So sometimes people say, well, this is a, a efficiency program, but really, as you start learning more about this, you sign out, it's really an employee engagement program. It's about how do you get the employees to take ownership and have the skill set to be able to solve the new problems that are coming up and not rely on their manager or bosses to tell them what to do. Um, we define value in the customer's eyes and then everything else kind of gets defaulted as this is something maybe we could quit doing or, or waste or eliminate. We look at the value stream, which is all the way from when the customer requests something all the way to when they get what they wanted. That timeline, when you start looking at how long it takes from their perspective, is pretty shocking sometimes from their perspective, how long they're waiting on the process. Because individually it looks like, well, I'll only spend an hour on it and the next person only spent 30 minutes on it and the next person only spent 45 minutes. So they're spending a couple hours total, but it's weeks before the customer gets it all the way through those processes. And so we, we start by mapping out the whole picture and that's really open for people. It's the handoff between the processes and the departments where things get lost. So once we start working on something, the goal is to finish it all the way through. Don't partially work on it, set it aside, get it completed and moved on to the next step. That's where we see sometimes things get uh, hung up. So that's the idea with flow is, once I decide I'm gonna work on this, I'm gonna keep working on it until I'm completed all the way through. If I stop partway through, then I've, I've invested labor into it, but my customer hasn't received the value out of it yet. And I probably got paid for it, but the company never got the value out of that money yet. So it's all work in process that hasn't been realized into dollars yet. So we focus on one thing at a time, minimal batches, ideally down to doing one at a time and moving it on, which is a, one of those counterintuitive things for people. Uh, we like to put in a concept called pull, 
So we wait until the customer actually needs it, not just complete it to get it off our to-do list, but say, when do you actually need it? And I'll provide it to you right when at the last minute, but not too late. So I know it's updated, it's the latest information, it's exactly what you need. You know, I give the example of like a presentation. Let's say I created this slide deck, you know, three weeks ago, and then for some reason we had a bad weather storm and we had to delay this or cancel it or push it out. Well, um, all that time I invested in it, may, maybe it never gets rescheduled. And so I spent hours on it and it never actually turned into something. So I'm gonna wait to as late as possible to do the presentation knowing that this is gonna actually happen. Um, there's a lot of things we do in anticipation trying to get ahead of it, but then we end up saying, oh, now it's outdated or I have to redo it or update the slides or update the graph or the information is no longer valid. And I have to do rework, which takes us extra time to do that. Problems are good. That's a, a concept some organizations struggle with is how are problems dealt with? The whole systems around lean is forcing problems to come up to the surface. And so if your company or organization isn't very good about talking through problems, uh, this won't work very well because the systems will start to fail. And um, there are always gonna be problems and the goal with lean is to make them visible and obvious. So we can get our hands on and say, of all the problems, which ones do we work on? But if some of them are hidden, then we're working on the ones we know about and we're not working on the ones that we probably should be working on that are hidden. So we're set up processes to expose the, the issues. Then we can get, then we can make the right decision about what to focus our attention on. We like to want to be blaming the process, not the people. We assume the people are there to do a good job and are trying to do the best they can. And they're not trying to sabotage or make mistakes on purpose. So it's usually the process is broken or confusing or could be done a little bit more efficiently. Um, simplicity is always key. How do we simplify it down to make it better um, with better visuals? And again, trying to be smarter about the work we're doing, not harder. Um, some concepts people struggle with is maybe it's better to do nothing than to work on stuff ahead of time and create more work for the next person and overload the next person. So that is hard for people to get wrap their head around that, you know, I, I don't want people to be actually working right now because they can create more cost to the organization than just their, their time. So if you have a, a, a manufacturing example I'll give is have somebody who's making, let's say 30 bucks an hour and they're working on product that's worth thousands of dollars. And if they decide I'm gonna stay busy and build up inventory of thousands of dollars of material we have to store and package um, is that really the best use of our overall money? And so those types of questions get brought up a lot is, is um, let's wait until we actually have an order before we start processing. And we do experimentation to learn. So we all have great ideas, but put it to the test and see, does it actually work? It might be a textbook example, but this might not work for your industry. <coughs> so we experiment a lot on a small scale to see if it'll actually work. And it's a continuous thing and never ends. We're trying to strive for per perfection knowing that we'll never get there. Any questions about some of those concepts? So those are the kind of some of the principles and things I like to think about when I'm looking at a process or area and, and try to educate people on is because um, everything's going to be um, some variant of these concepts and, and so starting off just having those things in mind that this is the approach we're going to.
then we can talk through how best to resolve or address these particular issues. So um, one of the things we first teach is something called the eight ways. It's also seen as a couple different acronyms. This one I use is called Tim Woods, just as a way for people to try to remember the different types of waste. So when you see transportation of things moving around, that usually doesn't really add value to the customer. It's time that we're carrying something or processing or sending something around, but it's not actually getting closer to the customer at all. Um, even if it's going to the customer, the, the, the product or service isn't increasing in value during that time. It's just a distance thing. And so we look for transportation, people are walking around trying to look, get something, looking for things, um, physically moving things around back and forth. Um, that's an opportunity that's taking up time. Like could be doing, working on the actual product or service. Inventory is money that you've wrapped up in your processes. So it's really a kind of a cash flow thing. And when we can cut it down, first of all, we can see the problems easier when we're not looking at a big pile of stuff it's very few items, we can actually manage that a lot easier. And it doesn't take up space. And it doesn't, I don't need an extra warehouse, which I have to heat, cool, and light, and spend money on. Um, so it, it keeps us from hiding the problems, and it's good for our bottom line. Then there's things like emotion, you know, just reaching for things constantly all day long. Can I move that closer to me? Um, if some things, um, can we get the team together? So it, it, a lot of times I see groups broken up by departments, but that's not how the customer flow works. The flow works between the departments. So a lot of times we'll take one person from each department and put them all together into a cell or a work area. So we can all communicate around the type of product or service that we're dealing with. Um, then we can actually stay focused on the type of customers that we're serving. And that seems to make the processes run more smoothly because now we're communicating between marketing and sales and, and customer service and project management. They're all in the same area talking about the same customer. Uh, any type of waiting for information, waiting for decisions, waiting for approval, that's holding up the process. Uh, doing things over and above what is needed by the customer. They said, hey, I, want, um, I need you to create this report for us. And then you add in three extra pages and 10 extra graphs to it, thinking well, this is, they'll really like these. And they just look to the first tab and say, thanks, that's all I needed. And all that time you spent making the other fancy stuff they don't care about or use. So is that really a good use of your time? So you have to have good discussions with your customers about, you know, um, some of the great examples I heard where finance would have reports they were putting out. And some of the questions they say is just, don't put out the report this week and then let's see what happens if anyone calls or asks for the report. And more times than not, nobody called, nobody asked for the report. And so they said, you know, I spent four hours a week on this report and nobody's reading it. So they go talk to them and they said, well, yeah, the information you used to get on that report, I can get it now, I have access to the system. I just go in there, pull it when I need it. So I just delete your emails or I, it files it away. And um, it's, it's really heartbreaking for them at first. And then they realize, well, that's frees me up to do something that is valuable. So just talking to your customers and finding out how much of this do you actually use? Overproduction would be, I'm, I'm anticipating that they're gonna order something or buy something or that these orders are gonna come through and I'm gonna start working on them now, even though they haven't actually come through. 
And so what it's doing is it's taking away time that I could be doing on stuff that actually is needed, and I'm working on stuff that might be needed in the future. And then that creates a bunch of other wastes in the process. And then if we have mistakes and defects, that's going to slow up the process as well. So those are errors and mistakes that now i got to go back and fix those errors, and that takes time out of the process, and that's very inefficient. And then we also have skill issues where we don't have the right people in the right jobs, or we're not utilizing their knowledge and their experience as well as we could be. So are we pulling that knowledge out of them, or we just say, hey, go to work and stay busy and, and keep your head down? Or are we saying, what, what ideas do you have? How can we make this better? What improvement suggestions do you have? How can we help you implement those solutions? That's a better use of their skill set. Or how do we get you into a position that you really want to be in, even though you joined us uh, in a different position just to get your foot in the door? So how do we help you transition there? They're more likely going to stick around and, and stay with the company if, if that's the case. So those are different wastes. Um, all these wastes also have an environmental impact. And so whether they're companies are doing this intentionally to try to reduce environmental impacts. Sometimes just by focusing on process efficiency, they're going to accidentally get some environmental benefits. So it's kind of a two approaches you could do it. Um, a lot of the organizations that are, you know, G corporations and sustainability at work certification companies, they might be focused on actually reducing environmental impacts. But even if there are other companies that aren't really focused on that right now, they might accidentally get some of those benefits. So that's kind of a nice thing about it is the side benefit or indirect in, uh, improvements that you might generate. So we're going to watch we're going to watch a video of how to make a pizza and then I want you to look for waste and inefficiencies in the process based on the Tim Woods analogy and I didn't give you a, a real deep discussion on each one but you've got a handout on there so those are the different wastes quick description of them and then as we go through the video if you can just jot down what you see or what did you what did you notice the uh, How old the root ball the balls of the dough or yeah. the well there was yeah. flattened ones too the flattened ones because those dough balls have to rise so yeah that takes time and then there's just like an inventory yeah I mean kind of obviously like that explanatory yeah 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 so they're anticipating a bunch of orders but they're not coming through yet. He obviously has time to work on a video. So, not <laughs> overloaded. Up every tool and kind of like, <laughs> um, it's, it looks like a lot of waste. A lot of waste. Yeah, that tray waste. of ingredients that are just kind of falling like through. Every tray and every, the whole assembly line is full of things. It's full of it. I mean, if you just run some quick numbers, that's a lot of money in there, Absolutely. I would imagine. Just because the sloppy, Mm -hmm. I've seen some other words where they have like a little ring around it to try to keep the ingredients from just flying all over. But I mean, so it might be faster to do it that way, but what's the full impact mm -hmm. to that? I save a second here, but I throw away 50 cents or a dollar of stuff. Usually, is that a good trade off? Portion control is huge in the industry. Yeah. So I'm surprised they don't have a few Oh, they do. He's not necessarily using them. Either. So <laughs> why isn't he? Yeah. Why isn't he using them? What's the problem with it? Is it difficult to handle? Um, is there not reinforcement on the tools? Is he not been trained on how to use them? There's a lot of things. We don't want to necessarily blame him at first, um, but there's probably process things that are broken that could be reason that he doesn't want to use it or he was told not to or someone said, you don't have to do that. Don't worry. Um, 
so yeah, some of it just goes back to uh, the process and the reinforcement there. But other times, this lack of the training, they threw him in there. He learned from somebody else who was there. He got trained, you know, nothing formally trained there. Things like that. But yeah, here's the overproduction example. Just all these waiting to go, and then these are going to have to be fixed and cleaned up because they're starting to rise and spread out and fall, and maybe they break off and they have to be put back together and redone. And so, and there's much, someone spent time doing that mm -hmm. when they could have maybe been helping out some other orders or helping out the cashier, clean up, <laughs> yeah, something, cross training, some, you know. Um, but yeah, how many of those trays of dough balls are necessary for that day? Is it the right amount or not? Inventory isn't necessarily always bad, it's just we want the right amount of it. That can keep us going for the time period we need it for. And not too much and not too little. So those are some of the things to look for. But a lot of these have environmental impacts that go along with that. That tray of ingredients, if it just gets thrown in the trash, it goes to the landfill and that creates methane emissions. And there's cost dollars that's going out the door. So those are the types of things you start to look for, and as you start practicing looking for waste, you start to get better at that. Just a couple other examples. Worked in uh, manufacturing. You see all these different carts. That was a problem. It, it was cluttering up the area. It allowed people to work on lots of different projects at once because, hey, I found a cart. I'll just start a new project because this one's having problems. And again, it hides the problems allows you to work around the problems instead of stopping and fixing the problems. And so I went through and did some cleanup work and made parking spots and said, we only need this many based on our process and this is where it goes. And if it's not there, that identifies a problem, it's visual. And we also realized we had 24 extra cards that we really don't need. And they're gonna go through and actually reorder new ones because they, they weren't the right, they didn't have the right requirements on there for electrostatic discharge. And so they were have to order new more, and they were had a purchase order for 54 carts. And we went in and said, it's still a lot of carts, but now we only need 30. And so there was $10,000 in cost savings right there. And um, if you look at the environmental impact of the material, that's a, you know, all that processing didn't have to have take place for those carts. And a lot of that is inefficient. They said it's 20 times more material at the beginning before it ends up in the product. So you, when you start out here with material, and only 5% only of it actually ends up in a product or service. It gets lost throughout the process. So when you go back to the original source, that's a, a lot of material that you see. What are we doing on time? Um, we've got about minutes. Okay. This is another one where we actually did start to look at reducing down the amount of stuff going to the landfill. And so I went over to the transfer station, I took some pictures of stuff that was thrown away. And it was a lot of packaging from suppliers. And we have high complex electronics. So that was um, understandable to a point, but also it takes time, it takes up space, and someone has to deal with it. Um, and there's extra costs for that material, and there's really no good source for the recycling of it. And so that was something we were looking at. Can we do some more stuff with reusable packaging? So we started off kind of looking at it from a sustainability standpoint. So the last example was more about from a lean perspective and I accidentally found some environmental benefits. This one would be we're focusing on environmental or sustainability efforts. Um, and what ended up happening is we started to look for opportunities to duplicate what we already had in place for some areas of reusable packaging material, which is just um, you know a box that we can break down and send back to the supplier after we build up a certain number of them. 
and that sounds good. And it's, yeah, there's a little bit extra cost to send back the, the product, but we don't have as much packaging and it's actually easier to unpackage the material when it comes in because uh, you don't have to have as much of the things wrapped up and taped up and bubble wrapped. And we ended up spending a minute or two unpack, you know, cutting off the tape and, and taking it out of there. So, But the from the lean perspective, we actually got a benefit because that empty box became a communication back to the supplier of how much we're actually consuming. Not what we forecasted or what we scheduled, but the actual usage. What if we run into a problem and we don't use that product for three weeks? Um, it told the supplier, don't make any more. Hold off, go do something else, work with another customer in the meantime. We don't need any more material. Even though we forecasted, even though we told you we're gonna need it, we're running in our own problems. And the, the box became the trigger system and the communication back to them. And so those types of systems help you connect different part departments together through visual cues or cards or boxes, or whatever, however you wanna make those. But it says, don't do any more until I give you some signal or indicator that I need more. And if you, if you don't get it from me, go work on something else. So those are, it's called a Kanban system, and that's one of the tools of Lean. Also did a focus on electricity reduction project in the building, and so we pulled data, looked at all our facilities. This one is our headquarters. Uh, that's work. Um, you can see that was a big opportunity for electric energy usage. The blue is electricity, the red is gas. So that was a no-brainer, and that didn't we didn't really need to pull data. That was the biggest facility we had. But trying to make a pie chart of where that energy came from was very difficult. We did not have any detail below the surface. And so we went around and went to the work, and we walked around the building and found all the submeters, and we took measurements in the morning, in the afternoon, on the weekends, over the holidays. And we tried to piece together very manually what that looked like. And it took a lot of time, but it was some of the valuable information that at least pointed us in the right direction. It says, here's where we should focus in this huge facility. Um, we also did some modeling. So my background is in statistics. And that's what a lot of the Six Sigma terminology goes, it focuses a lot on data and data analysis. And so I did some modeling of our monthly bills and I said, what drives the bill and the fluctuation month to month? And so it did some analysis and obvious that the temperature outside has a lot to do with it. But that's not the only indicator. It also mattered how many employees we had working in the building. It met, um, what, what should have mattered but didn't matter was how many working days in the month. So you would think that December would be a lower month than um, a different December because of the number of working hour days. But we did a couple year, I think that was two year period and it didn't matter if we worked 17 days that month or 22 days, which is kind of concerning because <laughs> you would think that would be a pretty big indicator of energy usage, which highlighted to us, we've got a lot of energy being used when no one's here. And that focused us on what's running on the off hours, well as heating and cooling systems, light, uh, some lights, maybe computer monitors, but we uh, security systems, all those things we started to brainstorm through there. We uncovered that the um, air handlers and the system was set up to run 24-7 in case somebody came in. Because that's easier and it's just simpler and there's less to manage. But we did some studies and looked at each area and tried to figure out what their actual employee um, work hours look like. So we did surveys and we also did badge swipes to kind of match that data up to see 
They say they work till 9 p.m., but everybody's gone, it looks like, by 7. I don't see any more batch swipes. Uh, they say they come in the weekends a lot, but there's one or two last couple months. It's really not as prevalent as we want. So we're trying to get some actual data with our user input. And the key thing with that was not only doing the study and getting some concerns addressed early on that says, do you have, if we're gonna do this program, what are your pushbacks or concerns? But we also gave them an override button that would allow them to have two hours of normal room temperature if they come in and they're not comfortable in the, in the warmer temperature in the summer or the cooler temperature in the winter. So that kind of helped with the change management part of this, which is a big part of improvements. How does it stick? And then the local group here is called Lean Portland, and we've been working with some nonprofits like Free Geek and Rebuilding Center and OEN and Social Venture Partners, and just trying to help them understand their processes, map their processes out, apply some of these concepts. Um, I think I've got, yeah, this is Free Geek. Um, this is what they were doing. On the left is how they're processing mobile devices, all the iPhones and smartphones and iPods, and it was surprising what stuff still comes through there. Um, iPhone 2s, stuff like that. So they kind of had their own system, but there's no way I could figure out what they were doing uh, from that. And it was disorganized, and where did I put that tool, and who took that, and where's that cable, where's that charger, where's that adapter? It wasn't really organized. And so two things we helped them with is just clearing out the clutter a little bit and coming up with a little bit more organization. The other thing was just figuring out what do they have? It was in boxes that they would come up from the donation area and drop off. But they didn't know how many iPhone 4S's they had, how many iPhone 6's they had, how many iPhone 2's are there. And the sales guy would say, hey, we're getting demand for you know, these items. Can you process them? And they said, well, if we find them or run across them, we will. Now they could at least say, we've got two of them. We'll, we'll process them right now. So again, connecting the actual customers with the process. And so that was kind of a first step. We have a lot more work to do there, but it just starts to get the process a little more structured and under under control. A lot of it is maybe simple organization stuff, which isn't complicated, but we're just trying to give them time, set aside time to focus on it. They know it needs to happen. They know it's disorganized, but they just need some guidance, and that's what we provide in a lot of cases. Um, so working with nonprofits, a lot of this discussion has been around how do I best utilize the volunteers? And so to make those processes simpler and require less staff time to train people, and um, but not create an environment where they feel like they're working in a factory. You know, they want to help the mission, and they know they have to do some of the work to help the mission along. But there's also they're there to volunteer, and if they don't like the experience, they're not going to come back, and that doesn't help the nonprofit at all. So we have to create a, a work environment that is flexible, but also has minimum amount of work that does have to get done, so that they do come back. And then our Lean Portland team, it's been nice to have backups. Because with a volunteer group, uh, things happen. People change jobs. They get big projects. They can't overload. They have family issues. And so if I was to just go off and work with that group, it's very risky because if something happens, I just disappear. Whereas if we have a team now, we can at least say, someone's going to come in and fill in for me and try to keep the ball rolling and moving forward still. So that's been really nice. And then a lot of the work that we've been doing is around the reuse of materials. and like in a traditional company, you decide what you're going to order, and in the donation world, you just get what you get. It just shows up. And so you can't really control that, but you have to be flexible and, and adjust to whatever you receive in. You might get a lot of stuff, 
you might get nothing. And so you have to be even more flexible to ebb and flow with that. So that's been a real fun challenge to try to figure out how do these concepts work when you don't even actually get to order or decide what you're ordering. It just shows up. <clears throat> so um, as part of my company um, and through the Lean Portland group, we put on free workshops. And so Lean Primer, Six Sigma Primer, Behavior Change, um, Culture of Collaboration, those are workshops we have every month. And we have it over at Hatch Labs, where I have an office, if you're familiar with Hatch. So those are free to sign up. I try to post some of them on the BPA site, but not all the time do I get those posted. And then here's just a couple links. Um, so the Lean Portland group, and then these other links are the, um, first is my business, but the other two are compilation of these examples and case studies and videos that I've found that are related to topics around the environment or around social good or social responsibility. So. Um, and then I um, just finished up a little book. So if you know other people who have a Lean and Six Sigma background, um, that I, I wrote a little book to just kind of motivate people to try to get more involved in some volunteer work or some of the environmental work at their own company or um, help their company get more engaged with certain nonprofits and not just donate money or go and carry things around, but actually use their skill set to help the nonprofit so that they can actually be more efficient with their limited resources and time. So those are free if, if anyone has knows someone or wants to check it out. Any other questions that I wanted to cover? You are, you are with the, what is that, Portland Recycle, right? Um, you, are, you are the president, the, chair, the president of the recycling applicants. Yeah, so what, what is that about? Yeah, so they're doing, um, they're trying to engage citizens in any recycling, reuse, uh, waste reduction activity. Um, so. In the what's past, the we've been involved with, what's that? What's your value then? I never, I never see any events or yeah. big ads. Or so right now we're doing a coffee cup reduction campaign. So we're working with coffee shops to try to promote having people bring their own cup. Because that's a big, you know, Portland loves coffee. And a lot of people use it in disposable cups. And they think it's recyclable because it looks like paper. So it's confusing. Um, or it's just more convenient initially, but we're trying to educate people on the problem. And then, um, so that's been a lot of our focus is around coffee shops. So that may be why I haven't seen a lot of other activities going on. We do like an annual update each year. Um, but part of my role has been to try to figure out where are we going in the future? Are we just doing one-off projects or we have a long-term plan here? And how do we make the organization sustainable? So we can, we can tackle the people planet part it's how do we make sure we have viable income and what is our income stream for the nonprofit? So kind of the opposite problem we usually have to deal with, with other companies. How many people so far there? Uh, for on our board? Mm -hmm. Yes. Board. So it's just a volunteer group of seven on the board. And then we have about, you know, so different levels of memberships, but a small membership group, maybe 20 people that donate on a regular basis to us. And then, um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what is our long-term plan emissions. Any other questions? Yeah. So what was your hardest project? What was your easiest project? What is the scope here? Yeah. Um, one big, huge project that kind of got a lot of effort was a, a humongous problem we had in, um, early on in, in really kind of kick-started some of our Six Sigma activity because we had a lot of success for it. And it involved some very complex stuff. 
and some very simple stuff in there. So some of the things was like, it was a manufacturing process and, and people were putting these microelectronics parts together and then they would like set their scissors on the parts or they would um, glue them together and they'd leave them stacked up and then the glue would um, stick to the parts and then they'd rip apart the parts and then it pretty much damaged the parts but they didn't really see that as the problem so some of it was like a simple cleanup of what would appear to us very simple stuff but when you're in the middle of it it's hard to see sometimes and the other part was heavy statistical analysis around that too figure out is the specifications that the designers and the customers required realistic or is that created the, creating the problem that they think the specifications would be this and it actually works better over here and we're trying to give them the data to say hey if we adjust this our yields go up our processes runs more smoothly we can cut the cost down save you money and you get a better product and so there's analysis that you can do and dig into the, some, of, some of those issues so actually that one project i think i've had both of those cases very complex and very simple stuff. So it was a combination of those things. Yeah. Um, how do you convince uh, like future clients or coworkers that their common sense around this kind of stuff is like maybe not enough, and that you know you need someone who's like trained to think about this kind of thing versus like, oh, I know that we should put this here and this here like, next to each other because they have them together. That's just common sense. Yeah. So I feel like, like my coworkers would say that. Like, Yeah, I think um, usually when I start off, I, I say, can we, how much time can we carve out for people to focus on this? Because usually that's one of the big problems is people have ideas and they just don't get the time to step away from their job to, to try to implement those or test out, test out some of those ideas. So usually I say, can I get 15 minutes a day, an hour a week of just time where they're not doing their job, where they can think about making the job better and easier. And some of the stuff is, fairly easy getting started and I would say once you've kind of cleaned up your own work area then I think you might have someone come in and say before you start affecting other work other people's work by the stuff you're doing let's make sure it's it's the right thing for the whole system so there's always this kind of fine line of when you go too far in your own work that you start impacting other people's work and that's where I think it's good to have somebody kind of come in and look at it and say that doesn't make sense from the customer's perspective or this concept of you do these in, in batches of 10 actually causes problems with the process and here's why it makes sense to do it in batches of two or three instead even though it doesn't feel very efficient that way so once we start getting into the concept of batching that's where people really struggle with the concept and that's usually where i spend a lot of time kind of so so initially getting started some of these things can be just if they get some time they're going to find a lot of easy lying fruit type of once you start talking process between departments, to, 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 between groups, that's where I think it's good to have someone kind of come in and facilitate and, and try to break down those barriers. Or you say, how do we experiment and try it out and see what happens? Because everyone's going to, some people are going to be more opinionated or more confident than others. So, but you, if you put it to the test and say, let's run a test and find out if this will work or not, then then let let's let the data tell us the answer not the manager because they're higher up in the 